The Princess Bride by William Goldman Fade in on, a video game on a computer screen. The game is in progress, as a sick, coughing sound is heard. <clears throat> Cut to. This kid, lying in bed, coughing, pale, one sick cookie. Maybe he's seven or eight or nine. He holds a remote in one hand, presses it, and the video game moves a little bit. Then he's hit by another spasm of coughing, puts the remote down. His room is monochromatic, grays and blues, mildly high-tech. We're in the present day, and this is in a middle-class house somewhere in the suburbs. Cut to. The kid's mother, as she enters, goes to him, fluffs his pillows, kisses him, and briefly feels his forehead. She's worried. It doesn't show. During this, mother. You feeling any better? The kid. A little bit. Mother. Guess what? The kid. What? Mother, your grandfather's here. The kid, not overjoyed. Mom, can't you tell him that I'm sick? Mother, you are sick. That's why he's here. The kid, he'll pinch my cheek. I hate that. Mother, maybe he won't. The kid shoots her an I'm sure look as we cut to the kid's grandfather bursting into the room, kind of rumpled. But the eyes are bright. He has a wrapped package tucked under one arm as, be, as he immediately goes to the kid, pinches his cheek. Grandfather, hey, how's the sicky, huh? The kid gives his mother an I told you so look. The mother ignores it, beats a retreat. Mother, I think I'll leave you two pals. And she is gone. There's an uncomfortable silence. Then, grandfather. I brought you a special present. The kid, what is it? Grandfather, open it up. The kid does. He does his best to smile. A book? Grandfather, that's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick. And I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. The kid, has it got any sports in it? Cut to the grandfather, suddenly passionate. Grandfather, are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Cut to the two of them as the grandfather sits in a chair by the bed. The kid manages a shrug. It doesn't sound too bad. I'll try and stay awake. Grandfather, oh, well, thank you very much. It's very nice of you. Your vote of confidence is overwhelming. All right. Book open now. He begins to read. The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern. Chapter 1. Buttercup was raised on a small farm in the country of Florian. Dissolve to. <clears throat> the story he's reading about as the monochromatic look of the bedroom is replaced by the dazzling color of the English countryside. Grandfather off-screen. Her favorite pastimes were riding her horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley, but she never called him that. To the kid. Isn't that a wonderful beginning? The kid off-screen doing his best. Yeah, it's really good. Grandfather off-screen reading. Nothing gave... Buttercup, as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. Cut to. 
Buttercup's Farm Day. Buttercup is standing, holding the reins of her horse, while in the background, Wesley, in the stable doorway, looks at her. Buttercup is in her late teens, doesn't care much about her clothes, and she hates brushing her long hair, so she isn't as attractive as she might be, but she's still probably the most beautiful woman in the world. Buttercup. Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. Wesley, quietly watching her. As you wish. Wesley is perhaps half a dozen years older than Buttercup, and maybe as handsome as she is beautiful. He gazes at her, at her as she walks away. Grandfather, off screen. As you wish was all he ever said to her. Dissolve to Wesley, outside, chopping wood. Buttercup drops two large buckets near him. Buttercup, farm boy, fill these with water. A beat. Please. Wesley, as you wish. She leaves. His eyes stay on her. She stops, turns. He manages to look away as now her eyes stay on him. Grandfather, off screen. That day... She was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. Dissolve to Buttercup in the kitchen, dusk. Wesley enters with an armload of firewood. Grandfather off screen. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. Buttercup, pointing to a pitcher that she could reach herself. Farm boy, fetch me that pitcher. He gets it, hands it to her. They're standing very close to each other, gazing into each other's eyes. Wesley, as you wish. Now he turns, moves outside. Dissolve to Wesley and Buttercup outside his tiny hovel in the red glow of sunset. They are locked in a passionate kiss. The kid, off screen, hold it, hold it. Cut to the kid's room. The kid, what is this? Are you trying to trick me? Where's the sports? Is this a kissing book? Grandfather, wait, just wait. The kid, well, when does it get good? Grandfather, keep your shirt on, let me read. Reading again, Wesley had no money for marriage, so he packed up his few belongings and left the farm to seek his fortune across the sea. Cut to Wesley and Buttercup. They stand near the gate to the farm, locked in an, in an embrace. Grandfather, off-screen reading, it was very emotional time for Buttercup. The kid. I don't believe this. Buttercup. I fear I'll never see you again. Wesley. Of course you will. Buttercup. But what if something happens to you? Wesley. Hear this now. I will come for you. Buttercup. But how can you be sure? Wesley. This is true love. You think this happens every day? He smiles at her. She smiles too throws her arms so tightly around him, they kiss. Then, as Wesley walks away, Buttercup watches him go. Grandfather, Wesley didn't reach his destination. His ship was attacked by the dread pirate Roberts, who never left his captain, captives alive. When Buttercup got the news that Wesley was murdered, the kid, off screen, parking up a little bit. Murdered by pirates is good. Cut to Buttercup staring out the window of her room. Grandfather, she went into her room and shut the door, and for days she neither slept nor ate.
Buttercup, no emotion at all in her voice. I will never love again. Hold on her face, perfect and perfectly sad. Dissolve to Florin Castle, day. The main courtyard of Florin, replete with townspeople, livestock, and a bustling marketplace. Grandfather. Five years later, the main square of Florin City was filled in, filled as never before to hear the announcement of the great Prince Humperdinck's bride to be. Cut to Prince Humperdinck, a man of incredible power and bearing, standing in his royal robes as the castle, on the castle balcony, three others standing behind him, an old couple with crowns, the aging king and queen, and a dark-bearded man who seems the prince's match in strength. This is Count Rugen. Humperdinck raises his hand, starts to speak. My people, a month from now, our country will have its 500th anniversary. On that sundown, I shall marry a lady who was once a commoner like yourselves. Pause. But perhaps you will not find her common now. Would you like to meet her? And the answering yes booms like summer thunder. A giant staircase leading to the crowd, and as a figure just begins to become visible. The crowd, as they see the figure, we haven't yet. And if there is such a thing as a collective action, then this crowd collectively holds its breath. Cut to the staircase as the figure appears in the archway. It is Buttercup, and she is resplendent. Humperdinck, my people, the Princess Buttercup. She descends, descends the stairs and starts to move against the, amongst the people. Cut to the crowd. And they do a very strange thing. With no instruction at all, they suddenly go to their knees. Great waves of people kneeling. And cut to Buttercup. Terribly moved. She stands immobile among her subjects, blinking back tears. Hold on her beauty for a moment. Grandfather. Buttercup's emptiness consumed her. Although the law of the land gave Humperdinck the right to choose his bride, she did not love him. Cut to Woodlands, and Buttercup barreling along, controlling her horse easily. Grandfather, despite Humperdinck's reassurance that she would grow to love him, the only joy she found was in her daily ride. Cut to a wooded glen close to sundown. Lovely, quiet, deserted Buttercup suddenly reigns in. A word, my lady? Cut to three men standing close together in the path. Beyond them can be seen the waters of Florin Channel. The three men are not your everyday commuter types. Standing in front is a tiny man with the most angelic face. He is Sicilian, and his name is Vicini. Beside him is a Spaniard, erect and taut as a blade of steel. His name is Inigo Montoya. Beside him is a giant. His name is Fezzik. Vicini. We are but poor, lost circus performers. Is there a village nearby? Buttercup. There is nothing nearby. Not for miles. Vicini. Then there will be no one to hear you scream. He nods to the giant Fezzik, who merely reaches over, touches a nerve on Buttercup's neck, and the start of a scream is all she manages. Unconsciousness comes that fast as she starts to fall. Cut to a tiny isolated spot at the edge of Florin Channel. A sailboat is moored 
It's dusk now, shadows are long, and Nigo, the Spaniard, busies himself getting the boat ready. Cut to the giant Fezzik carries Buttercup unconscious on board. Ficini rips some tiny pieces of fabric from an army jacket and tucks them along the saddle of Buttercup's horse. There's about the entire operation a sense of tremendous skill and precision. Enigo, what is that you're ripping? Vicini, not stopping or turning. It's fabric from the uniform of an army officer of Gilder. Fezzik, who's Gilder? Vicini, pointing straight out. The country across the sea, the sworn enemy of Florin, slaps the horse's rump. Go! The horse takes off. They start for the boat. Vicini, once the horse reaches the castle, the fabric will make the prince suspect the Gilderians have abducted his love. When he finds her body dead on the Gilder frontier, his suspicions will be totally confirmed. Fezzik, you never said anything about killing anyone. Vicini hops onto the boat. I've hired you to help me start a war. That's a prestigious line of work with a long and glorious tradition. I just don't think it's right, killing an innocent girl. Am I going mad, or did the word think escape your lips? You are not hired for your brains, you hippotomatic landmass. Nico, I agree with Fezzik. Close up, Vicini is in a fury. Vicini, we only thought he was in a fury. Now, he's really getting mad. Oh, the sot has spoken. What happens to her is not truly your concern. I will kill her. And remember this. Never forget. Cut to Inigo and Fezzik as Vicini advances on them. Nothing shows on Inigo's face. But Fezzik is panicked by Vicini. Vicini to Inigo. When I found you, you were a slobbering drunk. You couldn't buy brandy. Now to Fezzik, who retreats as much as he can while Vicini advances. And you, friendless, brainless, helpless, hopeless, do you want me to send you back to where you were, unemployed in Greenland? Vicini glares at him, then turns, leaves them. During this, Inigo has gone close to Fezzik, who is very distressed at the insult he's just received. As Inigo casts off, Inigo, let Vicini, he can fuss. A slight emphasis on the last word. Fezzik looking at an eagle. Fuss. Fuss. Suddenly, he's got it again. Emphasis on the last word. I think he likes to scream at us. An eagle. Probably he means no harm. He's really very short on charm. Oh, you've got a great gift for rhyme. Yes, some of the time. He starts to smile. Enough of that! As they sail off, we hear their voices as the boat recedes. Fezzik, are there rocks ahead? If there are, we'll all be dead. No more rhymes now! I mean it! Anybody want a peanut? As Vicini screams, we dissolve to the sailboat racing across the dark waters. Inigo is at the helm. Fezzik stands near the body of the princess, whose eyelids flutter slightly. Or do they? Vicini sits motionless. The waves are higher. There are only occasional flashes of the moon slanting down between clouds. Vicini. We'll reach the cliffs by dawn. Inigo nods, glances back. 
Why are you doing that? And he go, making sure nobody's following us. I see me. That would be inconceivable. Buttercup, despite what you think, you will be caught, and when you are, the prince will see you all hanged. Rossini turns a cold eye on the princess. Of all the necks on this boat, Highness, the one you should be worrying about is your own. Inigo keeps staring behind them. Stop doing that. We can all relax. It's almost over. You're sure nobody's following us? As I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, in all other ways, inconceivable. No one in Gilder knows what we've done, and no one in Florin could have gotten here so fast. Out of curiosity, why do you ask? No reason, it's just... I happen to look behind us, and something is there. What? And suddenly the three worlds stare back, and as they do, cut to the darkness behind them. It's hard to see. The moon is behind the clouds now, but the wind whistles, and the waves pound. And suddenly, it's gone ominous. Cut to Inigo, Fezzik, and Vecini squinting back, trying desperately to see. At this moment, they are all holding their breaths. Cut to the darkness behind them. And there's still nothing to be seen. It's still ominous. Only now, it's eerie too. Then, the moon slips through, and Inigo was right. Something is very much there. A sailboat black, with a great billowing sail, black. It's a good distance behind them, but it's coming like hell, closing the gap. Cut to Inigo, Fezzik, and Vicini staring at the other boat. Vicini explaining with as much log logic as he can muster, probably some local fisherman out for a pleasure cruise at night through eel-infested waters. And now, as a sound comes from their boat, they turn as we cut to Buttercup diving into the water, starting to swim away. The cut to the boat and Vicini screaming, Go in, go after her! I don't swim. Fezzik to the unanswered question. I only dog paddle. Veer left, left, left! Cut to Buttercup, still close to the boat, switching from a crawl to a silent breaststroke. The wind dies, and as it does, Something new is heard, a not-too-distant, high-pitched shrieking sound. Buttercup stops suddenly, treads water, cut to the boat. Do you know what that sound is, Highness? Those are the shrieking eels. If you doubt me, just wait. They'll always grow louder when they're about to feed on human flesh. Cut to Buttercup, treading water, still not far from the boat. The shrieking sounds are getting louder and more terrifying. Buttercup stays silent. Cut to the boat. If you swim back now, I promise no harm will come to you. I doubt you will get such an offer from the eels. Cut to Buttercup. And she's a gutsy girl. The shrieking sound is louder still, but she doesn't make a sound. Behind her now, something dark and gigantic slithers past. She's scared. Sure, petrified. Who wouldn't be? But she makes no reply. And now a shrieking eel has zeroed in on her. And now she sees it, a short distance away, circling, starting to close. And Buttercup is frozen, trying not to make a movement of any kind. And the eel slithers closer, closer. And Buttercup knows it now. There's nothing she can do. It's over. All over. And now the eel opens its mouth wide, and it's never made such a noise. 
and it's with, and as its great jaws are about to clamp down, grandfather off screen, she doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. And the second we hear him, cut to the sick kid's room. The kid looks the same, pale and weak, but maybe he's gripping the sheets a little too tightly with his hands. What? Grandfather. The eel doesn't get her. I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. Well, I wasn't nervous. The grandfather says something, just waits. Well, maybe I was a little bit concerned. But that's not the same thing. Because I can stop now if you want. No, you could read a little bit more if you want. He grips the sheets again as the grandfather picks up the book. Grandfather reading. Do you know what that sound is, Highness? Cut to Vicini. We're back in the boat. Those are the shrieking eels! The kid. We're past that, Grandpa. The sick kid's room. You read it already. Grandfather. Oh, oh my goodness, I did. I'm sorry. Beg your pardon. Buttercup treading water. Grandfather. All right, all right. Let's see. Uh, she was in the water... The eel was coming after her. She was frightened. The eel started to charge her. And then... And we're back where we were the last moment we saw her. Buttercup frozen. The shrieking eel, jaws wide, about to clamp down. As we cut to a giant arm, pounding the eel unconscious in one move. Then easily lifting Buttercup. Pull back to reveal the boat and Fezzik. Buttercup being deposited on the deck. Vicini... Put her down. Just put her down. Cut to Inigo. Pointing behind them. I think he's getting closer. Vicini tying Buttercup's hands. He's no concern of ours. Sail on. To Buttercup. I suppose you think you're brave, don't you? Buttercup. Only compared to some. Dissolve to the boat at dawn being followed closely by the black sailboat which we can see for the first time is being sailed by a man in black. And his boat almost seems to be flying. Look, he's right on top of us. I wonder if he's using the same wind we are using. Whoever he is, he's too late, pointing ahead of them. See? The Cliffs of Insanity. And once he said the name, cut to, the Cliffs of Insanity, Dawn, they rise straight up. Sheer from the water, impossibly high. Cut to the two sailboats. In a wild race for the cliffs, and the man in black is closing faster than ever. But not fast enough. The lead was too great to overcome. And as Inigo sails with great precision, straight at the cliffs. Cut to the boat being pursued. See, hurry up! Move the thing! Um, that other thing! Move it! Staring back now. We're safe. Only Fezzik is strong enough to go up our way. He'll have to sail around for hours till he finds a harbor. There's much activity going on. All of it is swift, expert, economical. Fezzik reaches up along the cliff face, grabs a jutting rock, reaches behind it. Suddenly, there's a thick rope in his hands. He drops back down in the boat, gives the rope a freeing swing, and cut to the cliffs. The rope goes all the way to the top. Cut to Inigo. Hurrying to Fezzik, he straps a harness to him, then lifts Buttercup and Vicini in the harness. Finally, he himself gets in the harness. All three are strapped to Fezzik like papooses.
20. And he starts to ascend the rope, carrying them all along with him as he goes. Cut to the man in black, sailing in toward the cliffs of insanity, watching as Fezzik rises swiftly through the first moments of dawn. Cut to the top of the cliffs, looking down. Fezzik's group is only faintly visible far below. This is the first time we've gotten the real vertigo feeling, and it's a gasper. Cut to Fezzik climbing on. Buttercup is almost out of her mind with fear. Cut to the entire length of the cliffs. Fezzik is moving right along. However high they are, he's already over a third of the way done. Cut to the man in black, leaping from his ship to the rope, starting to climb. He's impossibly far behind, but the way he goes up, you'd think he didn't know that because he is flying up the rope, hand over hand like lightning. Cut to Vecini and the others, and you go, looking down. He's climbing the rope, and he's gaining on us. Vecini, inconceivable! He prods Fezzik, who nods, increasing his pace. Cut to the man in black roaring up the rope, and cut to long shot the cliffs, and the man in black is cutting deeply into Fezzik's lead. Cut to Vecini and the others. Vecini, faster! I thought I was going faster. You were supposed to be this colossus. You were this great legendary thing, and yet he gains. Well, I'm carrying three people, and he's only got himself. I do not accept excuses. I'm just going to have to find myself a new giant, that's all. Don't say that, Vicini, please. His arms begin moving much more slowly. The man in black, his arms still work as before. If anything, he is speeded up. Fezzik's lead is smaller and smaller. Cut to the view from the top of the cliffs. Maybe a hundred feet for Fezzik to go. Maybe more. Cut to Vicini and the others. And it's getting too close now. Did I make it clear that your job is at stake? Cut to the man in black less than a hundred feet behind them, and gaining. Cut to the cliff top as Fezzik makes it. Vecini leaps off and takes out her knife and begins to cut the rope, which is tied around a great rock, while Inigo helps the princess to her feet, and Fezzik just stands around, waiting for someone to tell him to do something. Nearby are some stone ruins. Once they may have been a fort, now the kind of resembles Stonehenge. Cut to the man in black, feet from the top now, maybe less, maybe only 50, and his pace is as dazzling as before, and cut to Vicini cutting through the last of the rope, and cut to the rope, slithering across the ground and out of sight toward the channel, like some great serpent at last going home. Cut to Fezzik, standing with Inigo and Buttercup by the cliff edge. Fezzik to Inigo, impressed. He has very good arms. Cut to the man in black, hanging around, hanging suspended hundreds of feet in the air, holding to the jagged rock, desperately trying to cling to life. Cut to Vecini, stunned, turning to the others, looking down. He didn't fall. Inconceivable! Inigo, whirling on Vecini. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. My God, he's climbing! Cut to the man in black. And so he is. Very slowly, he's picking up his way upwards, sometimes a foot at a time, sometimes an inch. Cut to the group at the top staring down. Whoever he is, he's obviously seen this with the princess and must therefore die. To Fezzik, you, carrier, to Inigo, will head straight for the Gilder frontier. Catch up when he's dead. If he falls, fine. If not, the sword. 
And he goes, I want to duel him left-handed. You know what a hurry we're in. Well, it's the only time I can be satisfied if I use my right. Tss, over too quickly. Vecini turns abruptly, starts off screen. Oh, have it your way. Cut to the man in black, still creeping his way upward. Cut to Fezzik, who goes to Inigo. You be careful. People in mass cannot be trusted. Vecini, I'm waiting. Fezzik nods, hurries after Vecini. Cut to Inigo. He watches them depart, then turns, peers down over the cliffs. He watches a moment, then paces, shaking his hands loose. He practices a few of his honed fencing skills. He is a taut and nervous fellow. He has never been one for waiting around. Cut to the man in black, climbing on. He must be six inches closer to the top than when we last saw him. Inigo is watching. Cut to Inigo. Walking away, finally he goes back to the cliff edge, starts to talk. It's instant death if the man in black falls, but neither gives that possibility much credence. This is our two heroes meeting. They don't know it yet, but that's what it is. Inigo, hello there. The man in black glances up and kind of grunts. Slow going. The man in black, look, I don't mean to be rude, but this is not as easy as it looks, so I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't distract me. Sorry. Thank you. Nigo steps away, draws his sword, loosens up with a few perfect thrusts, then resheaths and looks eagerly over the edge again. I do not suppose you could speed things up? The man in black with some beat. If you're in such a hurry, you could lower a rope or a tree branch or find something useful to do. I could do that. In fact, I've got some rope up here, but I do not think you will accept any help since I am only waiting around to kill you. That does put a damper on our relationship. He finds another hold a few inches higher. And you go, But I promise I will not kill you until you reach the top. That's very comforting, but I'm afraid you'll just have to wait. I hate waiting. I could give you my word as a Spaniard. No good. I've known too many Spaniards. And he just hangs there in space, resting, gathering his strength. You don't know any way you'll trust me. Nothing comes to mind. And on these words, camera zooms into a close-up on Anigo. He raises his right hand high, his eyes ablaze, and his voice takes on a tone we have not heard before. I swear on the soul of my father, Domingo Montoya, you will reach the top alive. The man in black. There's a pause, then quietly, throw me the rope. Cut to Inigo, he dashes to the giant rock the rope was originally tied to. Cut to the man in black, as his grip loosens a moment, trying to cling to the side of the cliff. Cut to Inigo, now with a small coil of rope, hurries back to the edge and hurls it over. Cut to the rope, it hangs close to the man in black. He releases the rocks, grabs the rope, hangs helplessly in space a moment, then looks up at Inigo and cut to Inigo, straining, forcing his body away from the cliff edge and cut to the man in black, rising through the early morning light, slowly, steadily, and as the cliff top, as the last comes within reach, cut to Inigo, watching as the man in black crawls to safety, safety then looks to Inigo, man in black, pulling his sword. 
Thank you. We'll wait until you're ready. Again, thank you. The man in black sits to rest on the boulder that once held the rope. He tugs off his leather boots and is amazed to see several large rocks tumble out. The man in black wears gloves and Nigo stares at them. I do not mean to pry, but you don't by any chance happen to have six fingers on your right hand. He glances up. The question clearly baffles him. Do you always begin conversations this way? My father was slaughtered by a six-fingered man. He was a great sword maker, my father. He was a great sword maker, my father, and when the six-fingered man appeared and requested a special sword, my father took the job. He slaved a year before he was done. He hands a sword to the man in black, the man in black, fondling it, impressed. I have never seen its equal. Close up Inigo. Even now, this still brings pain. The six-fingered man returned and demanded it, but on one-tenth his promised price, my father refused. Without a word, the six-fingered man slashed through him. The heart. I love my father. So naturally, challenged his murderer to a duel. I failed. The six-fingered man did leave me alive with the six-fingered sword, but he gave me these. He touches his scars. The man in black, looking at his at an eagle, how old were you? I was 11 years old. When I was strong enough, I dedicated my life to the study of fencing. So the next time we meet, I will not fail. I will go up to the six-fingered man and say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You've done nothing but study swordplay? More pursuit than study lately. I cannot find him. It's been 20 years now. I'm starting to lose confidence. I just work for Vecini to pay the bills. It's not a lot of money in revenge. Man in black, handing back the great sword, starting to rise. Well, I certainly hope you find him some day. You are ready then? Whether I am ready or not, you've been more than fair. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. Man in black walk away, walking away a few paces, unsheathing his sword. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Inigo, begin. And on that word, cut to the two of them. And what we are starting now is one of the, is one of the two greatest sword fights in modern movies. The other one happens later on. And right from the beginning, it looks different. Because they aren't close to each other. None of the sword crossing on guard garbage. No, what we have here is two men, two athletes, and they look to be too far away to damage each other. But each time one makes even the tiniest feint, the other counters, and there's a silence as they start to circle. Cut to the six-fingered sword, fainting here, fainting there, and cut to the two men. Finished teasing, begin to duel in earnest. Their swords cross, then again, again, and the sound comes so fast it's almost continual. An eagle point presses on, the man in black retreating up a rocky incline. You're using Bonetti's defense against me, huh? I thought it fitting, considering the rocky terrain. Naturally, you must expect to attack with the capo ferro. And he shifts his style now. Man in black, coping as best he can. Naturally. Suddenly shifting again. But I find Tybalt cancels out capo ferro, don't you? 
The man in black is now perched at the edge of the elevated castle ruin. Nowhere to go, he jumps to the sand. Inigo stares down at him. Unless the enemy has studied his Agrippa. And now, with the grace of an Olympian, Inigo flies off the perch, somersaults clean over the man in black's head, and lands facing his opponent. Which I have. The two men are almost flying across the rocky terrain, never losing balance, never coming close to stumbling. The battle rages with incredible finesse. First one and then the other gaining the advantage. And by now, it's clear that there isn't just two athletes going at it. It's a lot more than that. This is a legendary swashbucklers, and they're in their prime. It's Burke Lancaster and the Crimson Pirate battling Errol Flynn and Robin Hood. And then, incredibly, the action begins going even faster than before as we cut to an ego. And behind him now, drawing closer all the time, is the deadly edge of the Cliffs of Insanity. Inigo fights and ducks and faints and slashes and it all works. But not for long, as gradually the man in black keeps the advantage, keeps forcing Inigo back closer and closer to death. Inigo, happy as a clam, you are wonderful. The man in black, thank you. I've worked hard to become so. The cliff edge is very close now. Inigo is continually being forced towards it. I admit it, you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Inches from defeat. Inigo is, in fact, all smiles. Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. And he throws the six-finger sword into his right hand, and immediately the tide of the battle turns. Cut to the man in black, stunned, doing everything he can to keep Inigo by the cliff edge, but no use. Slowly at first, he begins to retreat. Now faster, Inigo is in control, and the man in black is desperate. Cut to Inigo, and the six-fingered sword is all but invincible now, as he increases his attack, then suddenly switches styles again. A rocky staircase leading to a turret-shaped plateau, and the man in black is retreating like mad up the steps, and he can't stop Inigo. Nothing can stop Inigo, and in a frenzy, the man in black makes every feint, tries every thrust, lets go with all he has left, but he fails. Everything fails. He tries one or two final desperate moves, but they are nothing. You're amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. And now the man in black is smashed into a, by a stone, into a stone pillar, pinned there under the six-fingered sword, man in black hollering it out. There's something I ought to tell you. Tell me. I am not left-handed either. And now he changes hands, and at last, the battle is fully joined. Cut to Inigo, and to his amazement, he's being forced back down the steps. He tries one style, another, but it all comes down to the same thing. The man in black seems to be in control. And before Inigo knows it, the six-fingered sword is knocked clear out of his hand. Inigo retreats, dies from the stairs to a moss-covered bar suspended over the archway. He swings out, lands, and scrambles to a sword, and we cut to the man in black who watches Inigo, then casually tosses his sword to the landing, where it sticks in perfectly. Then the man in black copies Inigo, not copies exactly, improves. He dives to the bar, swings completely over it like a circus performer, and dismounts with a backflip. Cut to Inigo, staring in awe. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. 
get used to disappointment. Okay? Cut to Anigo, moving like lightning, and he thrusts forward, slashes, darts back, all in almost a single movement, and cut to the man in black, dodging, blocking, and again he thrusts forward faster than ever before. And again he slashes, but Inigo, and there is never a move anyone makes he doesn't remember. And this time he blocks the slash, slashes out himself with the six-finger sword, on it goes back and forth across the rocky terrain, Inigo's feet moving with the grace and speed of a great improvisational dancer. Cut to the six-finger sword as it is knocked free, arching into the air, and Inigo catching it again, and something terrible is written behind his eyes. He has given his all, done everything he man can do, tried every style, made every maneuver, but it wasn't enough, and on his face, for all to see, is the realization that he, Inigo Montoya of Spain, is going to lose. Cut to the man in black, moving in for the end now, blocking everything, muzzling everything, and cut to the six-fingered sword, sent flying from Inigo's grip. He stands helplessly only a moment. Then he drops to his knees, bows his head, shuts his eyes. Kill me quickly. I would as soon destroy a stained glass window as an artist like yourself. However, since I have you, f I can't have you following me either. And he dunks Inigo's head with his heavy sword handle. Inigo pitches forward unconscious. Please understand, I hold you in the highest respect. He grabs his scabbard and takes off after the princess. And we cut to close up Vicini. Inconceivable! Pull back to reveal. Vicini, staring down from a narrow mountain path as far below the man in black can be seen running. Fezzik, carrying the princess, stands alongside. It's a little later in the morning. Vicini, give her to me! Krebs Buttercup starts off. Catch up with us quickly! Fezzik, certain depending. What do I do? Vicini, finish him! Finish him! Your way! Fezzik, oh good, my way. Thank you, Vicini. Which way is my way? Cut to a couple of rocks. Nothing gigantic. Vicini points to them. There is a large boulder nearby. Pick up one of those rocks, get behind the boulder, and in a few minutes, the man in black will come running around the bend. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! As Vicini and Buttercup hurry away, Fezzik, a little frown, softly. My way is not very sportsmanlike. He grabs one of the rocks and plods behind the boulder. And we dissolve to the man in black racing up the mountain trail. Ahead is a bend in the trail. He sees it, slows, then he stops, listening. Satisfied by the silence, he starts forward again. And as he rounds the bend, a rock flies into frame, shattering on a boulder inches away in front of him. Cut to Fezzik. He moves into the mountain path. He's picked up another rock and holds it lightly. I did that on purpose. I don't have to miss. I believe you. So what happens now? We face each other as God intended. Sportsmanlike. No tricks. No weapons. Skill against skill alone. You mean, you'll put down your rock, and I'll put down my sword, and we'll try to kill each other like civilized people? I could kill you now. He gets set to throw, but the man in black shakes his head, takes off his sword and scabbard, begins the approach toward the giant. 
Frankly, I think the odds are slightly in your favor at hand fighting. It's not my fault being the biggest and the strongest. I don't even exercise. He flips the rock away. Cut to the mountain path and the two men. The man in black is not now and has never been a shrimp. But it's like he wasn't even there. Fezzik towers over him so much. There's a moment's pause, and then the man in black dives at Fezzik's chest, slams his several tremendous blows in the stomach, twists his arm severely, slips skillfully into a beautifully applied bear hug, and in general makes any number of terrific wrestling moves. Fezzik just stands there, kind of taking in the scenery. Finally, the man in black pushes himself away, stares up at the giant. Look, are you just fiddling around with me or what? I just want you to feel you're doing well. I hate for people to die embarrassed. They get set to begin again. Then suddenly, Fezzik, as he jumps forward with a stunning speed for anyone his size, and reaches for the man in black, who drops to his knees, spins loose, and slips between the giant's legs. You're quick. And a good thing, too. Why do you wear a mask? Were you burned by acid or something like that? <laughs> oh, no. It's just that they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. Fezzik considers this a moment, then attacks. If he moved quickly last time, this time he's blinding, and as the man in black slips down to avoid the charge, Fezzik moves right with him. Only instead of twisting free and jumping to his feet, this time the man in black jumps for Fezzik's back, and in a moment he is riding him, and his arms have Fezzik's throat, locked across Fezzik's windpipe, one in front, one behind. The man in black begins to squeeze, tighter, Fezzik standing, talking as he does. I just figured out why you give me so much trouble. Fezzik, as he charges towards a huge rock that lines the path, and just as he reaches it, spins his giant body so that the entire weight of the charge is taken by the man in black. Cut to the man in black. And the power of the charge is terrible, the pain enormous, but he clings to his grip at Fezzik's windpipe. The man in black, his arms never leave Fezzik's throat. Why is that, do you think? Fezzik, his voice just beginning to get a little strained. Well, I haven't fought just one person for so long. I've been specializing in groups, battling gangs for local charities, that kind of thing. Another huge rock on the other side of the path. Again, Fezzik charges slower this time, but still a charge. And again, he spins and creams the man in black against the rough boulder. Cut to the man in black, and the punishment is terrible, and for a moment it seems as if he is going to let go of physics windpipe and crumble, but he doesn't. He holds on. Why should that make such a difference? Well, now his voice is definitely growing weaker. You see, you use different moves when you're fighting half a dozen people than when you have to be worried about one. Again, Fezzik slams the man in black against a boulder, only this time his power is diminished, and Fezzik starts to slowly collapse. Cut to Fezzik, and there isn't much breathing coming. Cut to the man in black, holding his grip as Fezzik tries to stand. Halfway makes it, but there is no air. Back to his knees, he falls, holds there for a moment, and pitches down to all fours. The man in black increases the pressure. Fezzik tries to crawl, but there is just no air, no air. Fezzik goes to earth and lies still, cut to Fezzik. As the man in black turns him over, puts his ear to Fezzik's heart, it beats. The man in black stands. 
I don't envy you in the headache. I don't envy you the headache you will have when you awake. But in the meantime, rest well, and dream of large women. And he nimbly scoops up his sword, with his foot, catches it, as and as he dashes off up along the mountain path. Cut to Prince Humperdinck, as he slips his boot into a footprint in the sand. Count Rugen mounted watches behind him. Half a dozen armed warriors also mounted. A great white horse waits riderless in front. Humperdinck is all over the rocky ground, and maybe he isn't the best hunter in the world. Then again, maybe he is, because as he begins to put his foot into strange positions, we realize what he is doing is mimicking the fencers. Humperdinck. There was a mighty duel. It ranged all over. They were both masters. Who won? How did it end? Humperdinck, looking down the position where Inigo fell unconscious. The loser ran off alone points off in the direction Vicini and Fezzik took. The winner followed those footprints toward Gilder. Shall we track them both? The loser is nothing. Only the princess matters. To the arm warriors. Clearly this was all planned by warriors of Gilder. We must be ready for whatever lies ahead. Could this be a trap? Humperdinck vaulting onto his horse. I always think that everything could be a trap which is why I'm still alive. And he gallops off, cut to the man in black, cresting the peak of the mountain. Cut to, close upon, a knife pointed at a throat, pull back to reveal Vassini munching on an apple, holding the knife to Buttercup's throat. She is blindfolded. A picnic spread is laid out, a tablecloth, two goblets between them, a small leather wine container, and some cheese and a couple of apples. The picnic is set on a lovely spot, high on the edge of a mountain path with a view all the way back to the sea. The man in black comes running around the path, sees Vicini, slows. The two men study each other and then, So, it is down to you, and it is down to me. The man in black nods and comes near. If you wish her dead, by all means, keep moving forward. And he pushes his long knife harder against Buttercup's unprotected throat. Man in black let me explain. There's nothing to explain. You're trying to kidnap what I've rightfully stolen. Perhaps an arrangement could be reached. There will be no arrangement. And you're killing her. Cut to Buttercup's throat. As Vicini jabs with his long knife, Buttercup gasps against the pain. Cut to the man in black, stopping fast. But if there can be no arrangement, then we are at an impasse. I'm afraid so. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. You are that smart? Let me put it this way. Have you heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons! Really? In that case, I challenge you to a battle of wits. For the princess? The man of black nods. To the death? Another nod. I accept. Good. Then pour the wine. As Vicini fills the goblets with dark red liquid, the man in black pulls out a small packet from his clothing, handing it to Vicini. Inhale this, but do not touch. I smell nothing! Man in black taking the powder back. What you do not smell is called Iacane powder. It is odorless, tasteless, dissolves instantly in liquid, and is among the more deadlier poisons known to man. Hmm... Cut to Vicini. 
watching excitedly as the man in black takes the goblets, turns his back. A moment later, he turns again, faces Vicini, drops the Iocane packet. It is now empty. The man in black rotates the goblets in a little shell game maneuver, then puts one glass in front of Vicini, the other in front of himself. All right, where's the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. But it's so simple. All I have to do is divine from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies? He studies the man in black now. Now, a clever man would put the poison in his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was given. I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. Man in black, now there's a trace of nervousness beginning. So you've made your decision. Not remotely, because Iacane comes from Australia, as everyone knows. And Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them, as you are not trusted by me. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going. Where was I? Australia? Yes, Australia. And you must have suspected that I would have known the powder's origin. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. And a black very nervous. You're just stalling now. <laughs> You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? You've beaten my giant, which means you're exceptionally strong. So you could have put the poison in your own goblet, trusting on your own strength to save you. So I clearly cannot choose the wine in front of you. But you've also bested my Spaniard, which means you must have studied. And in studying, you must have learned that man is mortal, so you would have put the poison as far away from yourself as possible, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. As Vicini's pleasure has been growing throughout, the man in black has been fast disappearing. You're trying to trick me into giving away something. It won't work. It has worked! You've given away everything! I know where the poison is! Man in black fools. <laughs> then make your choice. I will, and I choose. And he suddenly stops, points at something behind the man of black. What in the world can that be? The man of black, turning around looking. What? Where? I don't see anything. Vicini, busily switching the goblets while the man in black has his head turned. Oh, well, I, I could have sworn I saw something. No matter. The man of black turns to face him again. Vicini starts to laugh. What's so funny? I'll tell you in a minute. First, let's drink. Me from my glass, and you from yours. And he picks up his goblet. The man in black picks up the one in front of him. As they both start to drink, Vicini hesitates a moment. Then, allowing the man to drink first, he swallows his wine. You guessed wrong. <laughs> you only think I guessed wrong. And that's what's so funny. I switched the glasses around when your back was turned. You fool. Cut to the man in black. There's nothing he can say. He just sits there. Vicini, watching him. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a war land. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. 
The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> he laughs and roars and cackles and whoops. And all is in all, it's quite cheery until he falls over dead. Cut to the man in black, stepping past the corpse, taking the blindfolded bindings off Buttercup, who notices Vicini lying dead. The man in black pulls her to her feet. Who are you? I am no one to be trifled with. That is all you ever need know. He starts to lead her off the mountain path into untraveled terrain. Buttercup, a final glance back toward Vicini. To think all that time, it was your cup that was poisoned. They were both poisoned. I spent the last few years building up an immunity to Iacane powder. And with that, he takes off, dragging her behind him. A mountain path. It's where Fezzik fought the man in black. Camera pulls back to reveal the prince, kneeling, inspecting every grain of misplaced sand. The others wait behind him. Someone has beaten a giant! Roaring. There will be great suffering in Gilder if she dies. He leaps onto his horse, and they charge off. Cut to a wild stretch of terrain. The man in black comes running into view, still dragging Buttercup, who sometimes stumbles, but he keeps forcing her along. Finally, when she's close to exhaustion, he lets go of her. Man in black, his voice harsh now, carrying the promise of violence. Catch your breath. If you'll release me, whatever you ask for ransom, you'll get it, I promise you. And what is that worth, the promise of a woman? You're very funny, Highness. I was giving you a chance. No matter where you take me, there's no greater hunter than Prince Humperdinck. He could track a falcon on a cloudy day. He can find you. You think your dearest love will save you? I never said he was my dearest love. And yes, he will save me. That I know. You admit to me that you do not love your fiancé? He knows I do not love him. Are not capable of love is what you mean. I have loved more deeply than a killer like yourself could ever dream. And the man in black cocks back a fist, buttercup finches, but does not retreat. That was a warning, Highness. The next time, my hand flies on its own. From for where I come from, there are penalties when a woman lies. Got to Vicini's body. The picnic is spread as before. Camera pulls back to reveal the prince kneeling by the body as the others ride up. The prince grabs the empty poison packet, hands it to Rugen after first sniffing at himself. I a cane. I'd bet my life on it. Gestures to the trail around. And there are the princess's footprints. She's alive. Or was an hour ago. If she is otherwise, when I find her, I shall be very put out. And as he vaults onto his horse... And they all charge off, cut to Buttercup, being spun into camera view, falling heavily as the man in black releases her. We're at the edge of an almost sheer ravine. The drop is sharp and severe. Below the ravine, floor is flat. But getting there would not be half the fun. Rest, Highness. I know who you are. Your cruelty reveals everything. The man in black says nothing. You're the dread pirate Roberts. Admit it. With pride. What can I do for you? 
you can die slowly cut into a thousand pieces. Hardly complimentary, your highness. Why loose your venom on me? Close up. Buttercup quietly now. You killed my love. Cut to the man in black watching her closely. It's possible. I kill a lot of people. Who was this love of yours? Another prince like this one? Ugly, rich, and scabby? Buttercup. No, a farm boy. Poor. Poor and perfect. With eyes like the sea after a storm. Cut to Buttercup. And probably, if she did not hate Robert so, there would be tears. On the high seas, your ship attacked, and the dread pirate Roberts never takes prisoners. Man in black, explaining as a teacher might, I can't afford to make exceptions. Once word leaks out that a pirate has gone soft, people begin to disobey you, and then it's nothing but work, work, work all the time. You mock my pain? Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. I remember this farm boy of yours, I think. This would be, what, five years ago? Does it bother you to hear? Nothing you can say will upset me. He died well. That should please you. No bribe attempts at blubbering. He simply said, please, please, I need to live. It was the please that caught my memory. I asked him what was so important for him. True love, he replied. And then he spoke of a girl surpassing beauty and faithfulness. I can only assume he meant you. You should bless me for destroying him before he found out what you really are. And what am I? Faithfulness, he talked of, madame. Your enduring faithfulness. Now tell me truly, when you found out he was gone, did you engage to the prince at the same hour, or did you wait a whole week out of respect for the dead? You mocked me once. Never do it again. I died that day. The man in black is about to reply as they stand there on the edge of the sheer ravine, but then something catches his attention, and he stares at it briefly. Cut to. The dust cloud caused by Humperdinck's horses is rising up into the sky. Cut to Buttercup. And while his attention is on the dust cloud rising high, she pushes him with all the strength she has. You can die too for all I care. Cut to the man in black, teetering on the ravine edge for a moment. Then he begins to fall. Down goes the man in black. Down, down, rolling, spinning, crashing, always down toward the flat rock floor of the ravine. Cut to Buttercup. Staring transfixed at what she has wrought, there is a long pause. She stands there, alone, as far from below the words come to her, drifting on the wind. As you wish. Oh, my sweet Wesley, what have I done? And without a second thought or consideration of the dangers, she starts into the ravine. A moment later, she too is falling, spinning and twisting, crashing and torn, cartwheeling down toward what is left of her beloved. Cut to the dust cloud, rising, full back to reveal Prince Humperdinck and the others reining in at the spot where Buttercup promised ransom in exchange for her freedom. The prince shakes his head. Disappeared. He must have seen us closing in, which might account for his panicking and error. Unless I'm wrong, and I am never wrong, they are headed dead into the fire swamp. Cut to Count Rugen. The mere mention of the fire swamp makes him pale. The ravine floor. Two bodies lie a few feet apart, not moving. It is, of course, Buttercup and Wesley. They might be corpses. After a time, Wesley slowly forces his body into motion. As he does, cut to Buttercup. 
bruised and torn, as Wesley crawls slowly towards her. Can you move at all? Buttercup weakly stretching out an arm towards him. Move. You're alive. If you want, I can fly. I told you. I would always come for you. Why didn't you wait for me? Well, you are dead. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. I will never doubt again. There will never be a need. And now they begin to kiss. It's a tender kiss. Tender and loving and gentle and... Oh, no, no, please! Cut to the kid's bedroom. What is it? What's the matter? They're kissing again. Do we have to hear the kissing part? Someday you might not mind so much. Skip on to the fire swamp. That sounded good. Oh, you're sick. I'll humor you. So now, where were we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Wesley and Buttercup raced along the ravine floor. Cut to Wesley and Buttercup racing along the ravine floor. Wesley glances up. Humperdinck and his men perched on top of the cliff, looking down at Wesley and Buttercup. Cut to Wesley. Ha! Your pig fiancé is too late. A few more steps and we'll be safe in the fire swamp. Cut to Buttercup. And Wesley is trying to say it with chevalier-like nonchalance. But she ain't buying. We'll never survive. Nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. As they race off, leaving Humperdinck and his men stranded, defeated. Cut to the fire swamp. And it really doesn't look any worse than any other moist, sulfurous, infernal horror you might run into. Great trees block the sun. Cut to Wesley and Buttercup. Buttercup is clearly panicked, and maybe Wesley is too, but he moves jauntily along, sword in hand. It's not that bad. I'm not saying I'd build a summer home here, but the trees are actually quite lovely. The giant trees, thick and black-green, look ominous as hell, and they shield all but intermittent strips of sun. A giant spurt of flame leaps up, preceded by a slightly popping sound, and this particular spurt of flame misses Wesley, but Buttercup is suddenly on fire, at least the lower half of her is, and cut to Wesley, instantly forcing Buttercup to sit, gathering her flaming hem in his hands, doing his best to suffocate the fire. This isn't all that easy and causes him a bit of grief, but he does his best to sound as jaunty as before. Well now, that was an adventure. He examines where the flame bursts over her. Singed a bit, were you? Buttercup. She wasn't, and she shakes her head no. You? He was, and he shakes his head no, as he pulls her to her feet. Cut to the swamp floor, and there's another popping sound. Cut to Wesley grabbing Buttercup, pulling her aside to safety as another great spun of flame suddenly shoots up. Well, one thing I will say. This fire swamp certainly does keep you on your toes. Buttercup is frozen with fear. He takes her hand, gently leads her forward, as we cut to the two of them, moving slowly through a particularly dangerous part of the fire swamp. It's later now. The sun slants down at a slightly different angle. This will all soon be but a happy memory, because Robert's ship Revenge is anchored at the far end, and I, as you know, am Robert's. But how is that possible, since he's been marauding twenty years, and you only left me five years ago? 
I myself am often surprised at life's little quirks. There's again a popping sound, then a huge spurt of flame. Wesley simply picks up Buttercup as they walk along, moves her out of danger, puts her back down, goes right on talking without missing a beat. You see, what I told you before about saying please was true. It intrigued Roberts, as did my descriptions of your beauty. Cut to some hideous vines. They look like they could be flesh-eating. Wesley takes his sword, slices a path for them to follow. The vines groan as they fall. He's been chatting away the entire time. Finally, <clears throat> Roberts decided something. He said, all right, Wesley, I've never had a valet. You could try for it tonight. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Three years, he said that. Good night, Wesley. Good work. Sleep well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. It was a fine time for me. I was learning the fence to fight anything anyone would teach me. And Roberts and I eventually became friends. And then it happened. What? Go on. Wesley picks her up, carrying her across some swamp water that is bridged by a narrow, rickety tree branch. Well, Roberts had grown so rich, he wanted to retire. So he took me to his cabin and told me his secret. I am not the dread pirate Roberts, he said. My name is Ryan. I inherited this ship from the previous dread pirate Roberts, just as you will inherit it from me. The man I inherited from was not the real dread pirate Roberts either. His name was Cumberbund. The real Roberts had retired 15 years ago and living like a king in Patagonia. Then he explained, the name was the important thing for inspiring the necessary fear. You see, no one would surrender to the dread pirate Wesley. The two of them now have crossed the pond. So we sailed ashore, took on an entirely new crew, and he stayed aboard for a while as a first mate, all the time calling me Roberts. Once the crew believed, he left the ship, and I have been Roberts ever since. Except, now that we're together, I shall retire and hand the name over to someone else. Is everything clear to you? Buttercup, perplexed, is about to reply, but the ground she steps on gives way. It's lightning sand, a great patch of it, and it has her. A cloud of powder rises, and she sinks into the stuff, crying Wesley's name. But then she is gone, cut to Wesley whirling, slashing a U-shaped vine, hacks in in half. It's still connected to the tree. Then he grabs it, drops his sword, and clutching the other end of the vine, dives into the lightning sand, and there's another cloud of white powder, but it settles quickly. Now, nothing can be seen, nothing at all, just the lightning sand, lovely and lethal. An odd panting sound is heard now. The panting sound is suddenly very loud. And then a giant R-O-U-S darts into the view. The R-O-U-S, a rodent of unusual size, is probably no more than 80 pounds of bone and power. It sniffs around a bit then. As quickly as it has come, it goes. Cut to the lightning sand. As Wesley lung, lungs long past the bursting point, explode out. He has Buttercup across his shoulders as he pulls to the edge of the lightning sand pit. Using the vine, cut to close-up of Buttercup. Her face is caked with white powder. It is still in her eyes, her ears, her mouth, and her hair. She's still probably beautiful but you have to look awfully hard to see it. As Wesley continues to pull them to safely, cut to the R-O-U-S, high above them, it watches. Cut to Buttercup, placed against a tree, 
Wesley's cleaning the lightning sand from her face. He hesitates, glances around, and... Katu, the R-O-U-S. On a much lower branch now, it stares down at Wesley. Wesley stares back up at the beast. Buttercup is oblivious. Her eyes flutter. He continues to work on her as... We'll never succeed. We may as well die here. No, no. We have already succeeded. He glances back again. Now there are two R-O-U-S's. They've climbed into a nearby tree. Stare hungrily down. Cut to Wesley picking her up. He puts an arm around her. Starts to walk with her. As he encouragingly goes on talking. I mean, what are the three towers of the fire swamp? One, the flame spurts. No problem. There's a popping sound preceding each. We can avoid that. Two, the lightning sand. But you were clever enough to discover what that looks like, so in the future we can avoid that too. Wesley, what about the R-O-U-S's? Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. And as he says that, an R-O-U-S comes flying at him from off screen. Cut to Buttercup screaming, and Wesley pinned under the attacking R-O-U-S, trying to fend it off. Can't. The thing's teeth sink deep into his arm. He howls. Wesley drives a fist into the beast's face, rolling it off. He reached for his sword just a few feet away, but the R.O.U.S. is back atop him. It's a fierce battle, and just when we think Wesley can't possibly win, he flips the ugly robe rodent clear. Wesley scrambles for a sword. The R.O.U.S. stampedes on, changing its target, heading right for Buttercup, and she's scared to death and... Wesley! Wesley abandons his sword, reaching for the rodent, grabbing only a tail, wrestling with it. Buttercup grabs a small branch and, using it as a club, beats the skull of the thing, doing pretty well, but the beast manages to snag her hem with its razor teeth. And she's pulled to the ground and cut to Wesley jumping onto its back, and the R.O.U.S. is all over him now, sinking needle teeth into Wesley's shoulder. Cut to Wesley with a death close at hand as a popping sound starts. He tries one desperate move. Rolls into the sound. Cut to a flame spurt bursting skyward. And cut to Wesley with the R.O.U.S. pinned under him. And as the beast bursts into flames, it lets go and Wesley rolls safely free. Grabs his sword and exhaustedly stabs the R.O.U.S. which is trying to put itself out. The R.O.U.S. collapses dead. Wesley stands motionless, exhausted. The danger has passed. Cut to Buttercup, relieved. Dissolve to the far edge of the fire swamp, beyond a beach. Cut to Buttercup and Wesley. Buttercup, almost in disbelief. We did it. Now, was that so terrible? And from somewhere, they summon strength, pick up their pace, and as they reach the edge of the fire swamp, cut to somewhere he we hadn't expected. Humperdinck on his horse, Rugen beside him, Three warriors, armed and ready, are mounted in formation behind. Buttercup and Wesley are at the edge of the fire swamp, about to leave it. They stop. Buttercup looks beyond exhaustion. Wesley looks worse. Surrender! It's dusk. Behind Humperdinck are the waters of the bay. Cut to Wesley and Buttercup, staring at the others. You mean you wish to... You wish to surrender to me? Very well, I accept. I'll give you full marks for bravery. Don't make yourself a fool. Ah, but how will you capture us? We know the secrets of the fire swamp. 
We could live there quite happily for some time. So whenever you feel like dying, feel free to visit. I tell you once again, surrender. It will not happen. Cut to Buttercup, looking from one to the other. Then something else catches her eye, and we cut to an armed warrior in shadow with a loaded crossbow aimed at Wesley's heart. Cut to Buttercup, looking the other way. Cut to another warrior, crossbow aimed at Wesley. Humperting, for the last time, surrender! Death first! Wesley roaring back bigger. Cut to Buttercup, frantically staring around. And now, cut to a third warrior, crossbow stretched, ready to shoot. This one is hidden in a tree, blocking any escape Wesley might try. Will you promise not to hurt him? Cut to Humperdinck, whirling to face her. What was that? Cut to Wesley, whirling to face her. What was that? Cut to Buttercup, talking to them both. If we surrender, and I promise to return with you, will you promise not to hurt this man? May I live a thousand years and never hunt again. He is a sailor on the pirate ship Revenge. Promise to return him to his ship. I swear it will be done. Cut to Buttercup and Wesley, staring deep into each other's eyes. Cut to Humperdinck and Rugen. Once we're out of sight, take him back to Florin and throw him in the pit of despair. I swear it will be done. Cut to Buttercup and Wesley. I thought you were dead once, and it almost destroyed me. I could not bear it if you died again, not when I could save you. Wesley is dazed, silent. Buttercup tries to speak again, can't, and is swooped off her feet onto Humberdink's horse, and off they go. Cut to Wesley. Staring after her, Rugen watches as his warriors bring Wesley to him. The Count has a heavy sword, and it holds it, and he holds it in his hand. Come, sir. We must get you to your ship. We are men of action. Lies do not become us. Well spoken, sir. Wesley looking, is looking at him. What is it? You have six fingers on your right hand. Someone was looking for you. Count Rugen clubs Wesley hard across the skull. Wesley starts to fall. The screen goes black. Fade in on the pit of despair. Dank and chill, underground and windowless, lit by flickering torches. Frightening. Wesley lies in the center of the cage, chained and helpless. Cut to... Something really frightening, a bloodless-looking albino. Dead and pale, he silently enters the pit, carrying a tray of food and medication. He puts it down. Where am I? Albino, he only whispers. The pit of despair. He begins tending Wesley's wounds. Wesley winces. Don't even think. A hack sputter. <coughs> Don't even think about trying to escape. The chains are far too thick, and don't dream of being rescued either. The only way in is secret, and only the prince, the count, and I know how to get in and out. Then I'm here till I die. Till they kill you, yeah. Then why bother curing me? The prince and the count always insist on everyone being healthy before they're broken. So it's to be torture. The albino nods. I can cope with torture. The Urbano shakes his head. You don't believe me. You survived the fire swamp. You must be very brave. But nobody withstands the machine. He studies Wesley, whose face is almost sad. 
Cut to Buttercup, and her face is sad, pallid perhaps, ill. She wanders down a corridor in the Florin Castle as she moves unseeing past an inter intersecting corridor. Cut to Prince Humperdinck and Count Rugen, watching her. She's been like that ever since the fire swamp. It's my father's failing health that's upsetting her. Of course. As they move on, cut to Florin Castle, night. Camera holds on it while we hear the grandfather's voice reading. The king died that very night, and before the following dawn, Buttercup and Humperdinck were married. Cut to Main Square of Florin Castle. And if we thought it was packed before, we didn't know how many more could fit in this courtyard. Humperdinck, Rugen, and the Queen stand high on a balcony. Grandfather off screen. And at noon, she meets his subjects again, this time as their queen. My father's final words were, Hold it, hold it, Grandpa. The scene freezes, Humperdinck caught in mid-sentence. Cut to the kid's room. The kid is half-sitting now. Not strong yet, but clearly stronger than when we first saw him. You read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck. She marries Wesley. I'm just sure of it. After all, that Wesley did for her. If she doesn't marry him, it wouldn't be fair. Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life isn't always fair. I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Now get it right. Do you want me to go on with this? Yes. All right, then. No more interruptions. At noon, she met her subjects again, this time as their queen. And on these words, cut to Prince Humperdinck. My father's final words were, Love her as I loved her, and there will be joy. I present to you your queen, Queen Buttercup. And on his words, cut to the crowd, and it's gigantic. Cut to the archway. We saw before, as Buttercup emerges, the crowd suddenly going to its knees, wave after wave of silent kneeling people, all of them down. Cut to Buttercup, touched as before, but then she seems stunned as we cut to the crowd. Someone is booing. The booing gets louder. Boo! Boo! As an ancient woman approaches Buttercup through the crowd, booing every step of the way. Why do you do this? Because you had your love in your hands and you gave it up. Buttercup distraught. But they would have killed Wesley if I hadn't done it. Your true love lives and you marry another. True love saved her in the fire swamp and she treated it like garbage. And that's what she is, the queen of refuse. So bow down to her if you want. Bow down to her. Bow to the queen of slime, the queen of filth, the queen of petrescence. Boo, boo, rubbish, filth, slime, muck, boo, boo. She advances on Buttercup now, who is more and more panicked. Close up, the ancient booer. Louder, louder, and louder, she shrieks vituperation at Buttercup, reaching out her hands toward Buttercup's throat. And Buttercup is as frightened now as Dorothy was when the witch went after her in the Wizard of Oz and suddenly cut to Buttercup, coming out of her nightmare, alone in her castle bedroom, as she frantically grabs a robe and starts to run. It was ten days till the wedding. The, queen, the king still lived, but Buttercup's nightmares were growing steadily worse. See, didn't I tell you she'd never marry that rotten humperdink? Yes, you're very smart. Shut up. Cut to Buttercup, bursting into the princess chambers, 
Count Rugen stands nearby. Rugen smiles and hurries down the stairs as the tree slides back perfectly into place. Cut to an enormous thing. We can't tell quite what it is or what it does, but somehow it is unsettling. Pull back to reveal. Count Rugen dragging Wesley up alongside the thing. Levers and wheels and wires, you name it. It's there. Beautiful, isn't it? The albino starts attaching suction cups to Wesley. It took me half a lifetime to invent it. I'm sure you've discovered my deep and abiding interest in pain. At present, I'm writing the definitive work on the subject. So I want you to be totally honest with me on how the machine makes you feel. Cut to a dial. The numbers ranging from a low of 1 to a high of 50. Rugen goes to it. This being our first try, I'll use the lowest setting. And he turns the dial to 1. Cut to Wesley. He has suction cups on his head now, on his temple, on his heart, on his hands and feet. He says nothing, keeps control of himself. Cut to Count Rugen, fiddling with his machine. A moment more, and then he opens the floodgate. Water pours down the chute, turning the wheel, which in turn really gets the machine going. Wesley, and he's lying on the table. He's only flesh, and the chains are metal and thick. But such is his desperation, it almost seems he might break them. A terrible sound comes from his throat, an incessant gasping. It keeps on coming as we finally cut to Count Rugen. He switches off the machine. He picks up a large notebook and pen, sits in a chair. The noise of the machine subsides. Rugen opens the book to a blank page. As you know, the concept of suction pump is centuries old. Well, really, that's all this is. Except instead of sucking water, I'm sucking life. I've just sucked one year off your life away. I might one day go as high as five. But I really don't know what that would do to you. So let's just start with what we have. What did this do to you? Tell me. And remember, this is for posterity. So be honest. How do you feel? And now, at last, Katu, Wesley, in anguish so deep it is dizzying. Helpless, he cries. Count Rugen watches the tears and starts to write. Interesting. Katu, Humperdinck, in his quarters swamped. Piles of papers are strewn all over. Now yelling, a pale, shifty, quick-eyed man appears in the doorway. Yellen, Sire, as chief enforcer of all Florin, I trust you with this secret. Killers from Gilder are infiltrating the thieves' forest and plan to murder my bride on our wedding night. My spy network has heard no such news. Cut to Buttercup, entering. Any word from Wesley? Cut to the prince and Yellen turning to her doorway. Too soon, my angel. Patience. He will come for me. Of course. And she glides out. She will not be murdered. On the day of the wedding, I want the thieves' forest emptied and every inhabitant arrested. Many of the thieves will resist. My regular enforcers will be inadequate. From a brute squad, then, I want the thieves' forest emptied before I wed. It won't be easy, sire. <sighs> Try ruling the world sometime. Cut to the thieves' forest. A lot of hollering is going on. The thieves are being rounded up by the brute squad, a large group of large men. Yellen stands on a wagon in the midst of all the scuffling. 
The day of the wedding arrived. The brute squad had their hands full, carrying out Humperdinck's orders. Is everybody out? Almost. There's a Spaniard giving us some trouble. Well, you give him some trouble. Move! And his wagon starts, and as it does, cut to Inigo, drunk as a skunk, sprawled in front of a hovel, a bottle of brandy in one hand, the six-fingered sword in the other. He looks dreadful, unshaven, puffy-eyed, gaunt, but the way he brandishes the great sword in front of him would give anyone cause for worry. I am waiting for you, Vicini. You told me to go back to the beginning, so I have. This is where I am, and this is where I'll stay. I will not be moved. And he takes a long pull from his brandy bottle. He stops as the assistant brute comes into view. Ho there! I do not budge. Keep your ho there. He waves his sword dangerously. But the prince gave orders. So did Vicini. When a job went wrong, you went back to the beginning. And this is where we got the job. So is the beginning. And I am staying till Vicini comes. You, brute, come here. I am waiting for Vecini. You surely are a meanie. Inigo feels a hand on his back, a huge hand. He compares it to his own smaller hand. Hello. It's you. True. And as the assistant brute is just about to club Inigo's brains out, Fezzik lets fly a stupendous punch. The assistant brute takes the full force of the blow right in the chops. It looks like he was shot from a cannon as he careens backwards out of sight across the street. There is a long pause, then a crunching sound as he clearly has come in contact with something hard and immobile. Fezzik puts Inigo down. You don't look so good. After Inigo blasts air in protest. You don't smell so good either. Perhaps not. I feel fine. Yeah? And so Fezzik puts Inigo down. That's when Inigo faints. And as he does, cut to an empty alehouse in the thieves' quarter. Inigo sits slumped in a chair while Fezzik spoons him some stew. Fezzik and Inigo were reunited. And as Fezzik nursed his inebriated friend back to health, he told Inigo of Vecini's death and the existence of Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. Considering Inigo's lifelong search, he handled the news surprisingly well and he faints again into his stew. Cut to two large tubs, one filled with steaming water, the other with water, clearly of an icy nature. Without a word, Fezzik stuffs Inigo's head into the icy water, then, after a reasonable amount of time, pulls him out, ducks him into the steaming stuff, and a short time after that, puts him back in the cold again, then back in the hot. Fezzik took great care in reviving Inigo. That's enough, that's enough! Where is this Rugen so I may kill him? He's with the prince in the castle, but the castle gate is guarded by thirty men. How many could you handle? I don't think more than ten. Inigo, doing the math with his fingers, that leaves twenty for me. At my best, I could never defeat that many. I need Vecini to plan. I have no gift for strategy. But Vecini's dead. Cut to the two of them, silent and bereft, then a wild look hits Inigo. No, not Vicini. I need the man in black. What? Look, he bested you with strength. Your greatness. He must have bested me with, he bested me with steel. He must have outfought Vicini. And a man who can do that can plan a 
castle's onslaught any day. Let's go. Where? To find the man in black, obviously. But I don't know where he is. Inigo, he is possessed by demons now. Don't bother me with trifles. After twenty years at last, my father's peace. My father's soul will be at peace. Cut to. Inigo, close up. Inigo, there will be blood tonight. Cut to Prince Humperdinck's chambers, strewn with maps. Yellen enters and kneels. Rise and report. The thieves' forest is empty. Thirty men guard the castle gate. Double it. My princess will must be safe. The gate has but one key. And I carry that. He shows the key dangling from a chain around his neck. Just at that moment, Buttercup enters. Ah, my dulcet darling. Tonight we marry. Tomorrow morning your men will escort us to Florin Channel, where every ship in my armada waits to accompany, accompany us on our honeymoon. Every ship by your four fastest, you mean? The prince looks at her blankly for a moment. Every ship but the four you sent. Yes, yes, of course. Naturally, not those four. Your majesties. Cut to Buttercup, staring at Humperdinck. You never sent those ships. Don't bother lying, it doesn't matter. Wesley will come for me anyway. You're a silly girl. Yes, I am a silly girl. For not having seen sooner that you were nothing but a coward with a heart full of fear. I would not say such things if I were you. Why not? You can't hurt me. Wesley and I are joined by the bonds of love, and you cannot track that. Not with a thousand bloodhounds, and you not cannot break it. Not with a thousand swords. And when I say you are a coward, that is only because you were the slimiest weakling ever to crawl the earth. Cut to Humperdinck. Jumping at her, yanking her by the hair, starting to pull her along, out of control, his words indistinct. I would not say such a things if I were you! Cut to a corridor of the castle. As the prince throws open the door to Buttercup's room, slams it shut, locks it, breaks into a wild run, and cut to Wesley at the machine. But it's not on. Count Rugen is adding more notes to his book. He looks up as the prince suddenly comes down the steps, raging. You truly love each other, and so you might have been truly happy. Not one couple in a century has that chance, no matter what the storybooks say. And so I think no man in a century will suffer as greatly as you will. And with that, he whirls, turns on the machine, grabs the lever, and... Cut to Count Rugen, calling out, Not to fifty! But it's too late, as we cut to hum Prince Humperdinck, shoving the lever all the way up and cut to Wesley's face. There has never been such pain. The pain grows and grows, and with it now, something else has started. The death scream. As the death start scream starts to rise, cut to the outside, the pit of despair, as the sound moves along louder and louder, and Yellen and his sixty brutes, and they bear it, and a few of the brutes turn to each other in fear as the scream builds. Cut to Buttercup in her room, and she hears the sound, doesn't know what it is, but her arms involuntarily go around her body, trying to control the trembling, and the scream still builds and cut to establishing shot across the river. There are many people. It is the day of the country's 500th anniversary, but all the people stop as the sound hits them. A few children pale, bolt towards their parents, 
and Katu, Inigo, and Fezzik trying to make their way through the jammed marketplace, which suddenly quiets as the fading sound comes through. Inigo, suddenly. Fezzik, Fezzik, listen, do you hear? That is the sound of ultimate suffering. My heart made that sound when Ruben slaughtered my father. The man in black makes it now. The man in black? His true love is marrying another tonight. So who else may cause, has cause for ultimate suffering? Excuse me. It's too crowded. Pardon me, it's important. No one budges and the sound is fading faster. Fezzik, please. Everybody, move! And the crowd begins to fall away and he and Inigo start to track the fading sound. Thank you. Cut to a grove of trees near the pit of despair. The albino appears wheeling a wheel, wheeling a barrow. Inigo's sword pushes at his chest. Where is the man in black? The albino shakes his head and says nothing. You get there from this grove, yes? Silence. Fezzik, jog his memory. And Fezzik crunches the albino on top of the head as if he had a hammer and was driving in a nail. The albino drops without a sound. I'm sorry, Inigo. I didn't mean to jog him so hard. Inigo? Cut to Inigo. He kneels, the sword held tight between his hands, eyes closed. He faces the grove of trees. Starts to talk, his voice low and strange. Father, I have failed you for twenty years. Now our misery can end. Somewhere. Somewhere close by is a man who can help us. I cannot find him alone. I need you. I need you to guide my sword. Please. And now he rises up, eyes still closed. Guide my sword. Cut to the grove of trees. As Anigo's eyes shut tight, walks forward, the great sword held in his hand. Fezzik, frightened, follows close behind him. Cut to the secret knot that reveals the staircase. Cut to Inigo, walking blind through the grove of trees. He moves to the secret knot, hesitates, then moves past it. Then Inigo stops. For a long moment, he stands frozen. Suddenly, he whirls. Eyes still closed, and the sword strikes home, dead center, into a knot, and nothing. He has failed. In utter despair, he collapses against the tree, against a knot in the tree, against the knot in the tree. It slides away, revealing the staircase. Fezzik and Inigo look at each other, then start down. Cut to Wesley, dead by the machine. Fezzik leans over him, listening for a heartbeat. Then he looks at Inigo and shakes his head. He's dead. Inigo is in despair. For a moment, he just sags. It is just not fair. Grandpa, Grandpa, wait. Cut to the kid's room. He's terribly excited and looks stronger than we've just seen him. Wait, what did Fezzik mean? He's dead. I mean, he didn't mean dead. But Grandpa says nothing. He just sits there. Wesley's only faking, right? You want me to read this or not? Cut to the kid, close up. Who gets Humperdinck? I don't understand. Who kills Prince Humperdinck? At the end, somebody's got to do it. Is it Inigo? Who? Nobody. Nobody kills him. He lives. You mean he wins? Jesus, Grandpa. What did you read me this thing for? And he desperately fights for control. You know, <clears throat> you've been very sick, and you've been taking this story very seriously. I think we'd better stop now. He closes the book and starts to get up. N no, 
I'm okay. I'm okay. Sit down, all right? Okay. Sitting and opening the book again. All right, now. Let's see. Where were we? Oh, yes. In the pit of despair. Cut to Inigo in despair. We're back in the pit. The same shot as before. For a moment, he just sags. Well, we Montoyas have never taken defeat easily. Come along, Fezzik. Bring the body. The body? Have you any money? I have a little. I just hope it's enough to buy a miracle. That's all. As Fezzik takes the corpse, follows Nigo up the stairs, cut to a hovel, dusk. Inigo, Fezzik, Wesley approach the door. They knock. From inside the hovel, a little man's voice is heard. If Mel Brooks's year-old man was really old, he'd resemble this guy. Go away! Nigo pounds again. Miracle Max, opening a small window in the door. What? What? Are you the Miracle Max who worked for the king all those years? The king's thinking son fired me, and thank you so much for bringing up such a painful subject. While you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? We're closed. He shuts the window. They rap on the door. Beat it or I'll call the brute squad. I'm on the brute squad. You are the brute squad. We need a miracle. It's very important. Look, I'm retired. And besides, why would you want someone the king's stinking son fired? I might kill whoever you wanted to miracle. He's already dead. Miracle Max, for the first time, interested. He is, eh? I'll take a look. Bring him in. He unlocks the door and lets them in. Cut to Inigo and Fezzik. Hurrying inside, Fezzik carries Wesley, who is just starting to stiffen up a little. He lays Wesley down across a bench by the fireplace, picks Wesley's arm up, and lets it drop limp. I've seen worse. He studies Wesley a moment, checking here and checking there. Sir, sir, ha? Huh? We're really in a terrible rush. Miracle Man, he takes nothing from nobody. Don't rush me, Sonny. You rush a miracle man, you get raw miracles. You got money? 65. Sheesh, I never worked for so little, except once, and that was a very noble cause. This is noble, sir, pointing to Wesley, remorseful. His wife is crippled. His children are on the brink of starvation. Are you a rotten liar? I need him to help avenge my father, murdered these twenty years. Your first story was better. Where's that bellows? He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He goes to get a huge bellows, and he goes super fine. He's dead. He can't talk. Look who knows so much. Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. And Ego does. Max inserts the bellows in Wesley's mouth and starts to pump. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. Now, all dead? Well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. He starts pumping again. Miracle Max. Hey, hello in there. Hello. What's so important? What you got here that's worth living for? And he pressed slightly on Wesley's chest. True love. Everybody stares at Wesley lying there on the bench. 
true love. You hurt him. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, a mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Where the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said to blab. And as we all know, to blab means to bluff. So you're probably playing cards. And he cheated. Liar! 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 Valerie, in ancient fury, storms out of a back room and toward Miracle Mac. Get back, witch! I'm not a witch! I'm your wife! And after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore! You never had it so good. True love, he said. True love, Max, my God! Don't say another word, Valerie. He's afraid. Ever since Prince Humperdinck fired him, his confidence is shattered. Why'd you say that name? You promised me you'd never say that name. What? Humperdinck? 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 Ooh, Humperdinck! I'm not listening! A life expiring, and you don't have the decency to say why you won't help. Nobody's here, nothing! Humperdinck! 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 But this is Brother Cup's true love. If you heal him, he will stop Humperdinck's wedding. Humperdinck! Humperdinck! Shut up! Wait, wait. I make him better? Humperdinck suffers? Humiliations galore. That is a noble cause. Give me the 65. I'm on the job. And as Valerie shrieks excitedly, we cut to this lump. It is somewhat smaller than a tennis ball. Pull back to reveal Max and Valerie exhausted, looking at the lump with beautific pleasure as Valerie, cooking utensils in hand, covers the thing in what looks like chocolate. Inigo and Fezzik stare at the thing too, but more dubiously. Inigo, a little appalled. That's a miracle pill? Max nods. The chocolate coating makes it go down easier. But you have to wait 15 minutes for full potency. And you shouldn't go swimming after at least, what? An hour. Yeah, an hour. A good hour, yeah. Anigo accepts the pill as Fezzik takes Wesley, who is stiffed as a board now. Thank you for everything. Okay. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye. Bye. And as they wave, trying to look happy, we cut to Fezzik, Inigo, and Wesley. On top of the outer wall of the castle, they look down to the front gate of the castle. The 60 brutes are visible. Fezzik is thunderstruck by how many brutes there are. Upset, he turns to Inigo, who is concentrating unsuccessfully, trying to prop Wesley against the wall. Inigo, there's more than 30. What's the difference? We've got him. Help me here. We'll have to force feed him. Has it been 15 minutes? We can't wait. The wedding's in an hour, half an hour, and we must strike in the hustle and bustle beforehand. During this, Fezzik, using all his strength, has managed to get Wesley into a right-angled sitting position, while Inigo brings out the miracle pill. Tilt his head back. Open his mouth. How long do we have to wait before we know if the miracle works? Cut to Inigo. Pill in hand, he drops it into Wesley's mouth. Your guess is as good as mine. Wesley, I'll beat you both apart. I'll take you both together. Guess not very long. Inigo and Fezzik react. Wesley is the only one not amazed. Why won't my arms move? He sits there, immobile, like a ventriloquist dummy. He's been mostly dead all day. 
We had Miracle Max make a pill to bring you back. Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Where's Buttercup? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Buttercup is marrying Humperdinck in a little less than half an hour. So all we have to do is get in, break up the wedding, steal the princess, make our escape after I killed Count Rugen. That doesn't leave much time for dilly-dallying. He is watching his fingers, one of which twitches now. You just wiggled your finger. That's wonderful. I've always been a quick healer. What are our liabilities? There is but one working castle gate. Fezzik helps Inigo raise Wesley just high enough so he can see for himself. And it is guarded by 60 men. And our assets? Your brains, Fezzik's strengths, my steel. Cut to Wesley, absolutely stunned. That's it? Impossible. If I had a month to plan, maybe I could come up with something, but this... He shakes his head from side to side. Cut to Anigo and Fezzik. Fezzik, trying to be cheery. You just shook your head. That doesn't make you happy? My brains, his steel, and your strength. Against sixty men, and you think a little head jiggle is supposed to make me happy? I mean... If only we had a wheelbarrow, that would be something. Where did we put that wheelbarrow the albino had? Over the albino, I think. Well, why didn't you list that among our assets in the first place? What I wouldn't give for a holocaust cloak. There we cannot help you. Will this do? Inigo to Fezzik surprise. Where did you get that? At Miracle Max's. It fits so nice, he said I could keep it. All right, all right. Come on, help me up. Inigo and Fezzik too. Now, I'll need a sword eventually. Why? You can't, you can't even lift one. True, but that's hardly common knowledge, is it? And his bead tilts limply back. Fezzik sets it up right for him. Thank you. Now, there may be problems once we're inside. I'll say, how do I find the Count? Once I do, how do I find you again? Once I find you again, how do we escape? Don't pester him. He's had a hard day. Right, right. Sorry. Cut to a shot of the three of them in profile. They move along the wall in silence for a time. Then these words come, come to us on the wind. Inigo? What? I hope we win. Cut to Buttercup in her bridal gown, and she's incredible. And it's not just her beauty. There's a tranquility about her now. Pull back to reveal the prince, fastening a pearl necklace around her. You don't seem excited, my little muffin. Should I be? Brides often are, I'm told. I do not marry tonight. Cut to Buttercup, and she couldn't seem more serene. My Wesley will save me. Cut to her Wesley, looking down on the gate with Inigo and Fezzik. Cut to the main gate of the castle, and Yellen standing there, flanked by sixty brutes. Cut to Wesley and Inigo and Fezzik, looking out at the enemy. This is it. Inigo and Fezzik shake hands. Wesley can't even do that. But after a bit of rocking back and forth, he managed to get enough momentum to catapult his arm over and onto his friends cut to an absolutely gym-like little chapel, pull back to reveal the most intelligent-looking, the most impressive-appearing clergyman 
imaginable. Buttercup and Hump, Humperdinck kneel before the clergyman. Behind them sit the muffling old, mumbling old king and queen. Standing in the back is Count Rugen. Four guards are in position, flanking the chapel door. <coughs> Mowage! Mowage is what brings us to Goa today. He has an impediment that would stop a clock. Mowage! The best arrangement that dream within a dream. And now, from outside the castle, there begins to come a commotion, and then, Stand your ground, men! Stand your ground! Cut to the brutes and yelling by the gate, for it is indeed they who are making the commotion, frightened and pointing. Stand your ground! Cut to their point of view, and it is a bit unnerving. A giant seems to be floating toward them out of the darkness. A giant in a strange cloak, and with a voice that would crumble walls. I am the dread pirate Roberts. There will be no survivors. Cut to Fezzik, and he seems to be floating because he's standing in the wheelbarrow as an ego hidden behind him busts a gut by pushing it and supporting Wesley. Now? Not yet. The floating giant closer. My men are here, and I am here, but soon you will not be here. Cut to Yellen, keeping the brutes in position, or trying to, shouting orders, instructions. And as yet the brutes hold, now cut to Inigo and Wesley. Inigo struggles bravely under their combined weight. Now, light him. Cut to the brutes, as the giant bursts suddenly, happily into flames. The dread pirate Roberts takes no survivors. All your worst nightmares are about to come true. Cut to the chapel, where the impressive clergyman plows on. Then wav, twu wav, with will you forever. Cut to Humperdinck, turning quickly, giving a sharp nod to Count Rugen, who immediately takes off out of the chapel with the four guards, as we cut to Fezzik, flaming and scary as hell. The dread pirate Roberts is here for your souls. Cut to Yellen, as suddenly the brutes just scream and take off in a wild panic. Stay where you are! I said stay where you are! Cut to inside the chapel. So twizzle your vav. Hump. Skip to the end. Have you the wing? As Humperdinck whips out the ring, the screams are very loud outside. Here comes my Wesley now. Cut to Fezzik as he pulls off the Holocaust cloak. Fezzik, the portcullis. And Fezzik rushes forward, grabbing the portcullis, which is indeed closing quickly. Fezzik grabs the gate and swings the tonnage back upwards. Yellen just watches in fear. Cut to the chapel as Humperdinck shoves the ring on Buttercup's finger. Your Wesley is dead. Buttercup only smiles, shakes her head. I killed him myself. Buttercup, never more serene. Then why is there fear behind your eyes? Cut to Prince Humperdinck. And she's right. It's there. Cut to Yellen, pressed against the main gate. Wesley, Inigo, and Fezzik close in. Give us the gate key. I have no gate key. Fezzik, tear his arms off. Fezzik steps towards him. Oh, you mean this gate key? And he whips it out, hands it to Fezzik. 
cut to Humperdinck and Buttercup and the impressive clergyman. And do you, Princess Bowlcup? Man and wife, say man and wife. Man and wife. Humperdinck whirling to the king and queen. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. And he dashes off. Cut to Buttercup, standing there, dazed. He didn't come. Cut to Count Rugen and his four warriors racing through the castle. And as they reach a complex intersection of several corridors, Rugen stops, incredulous, as we cut to Wesley, Inigo, and Fezzik moving toward them. Actually, Fezzik is dragging Wesley, who is in turn dragging Yellen's sword like a stiff dog leash. Wesley simply hasn't the strength to raise it. Cut to Count Rugen as the confrontation is about to start. Kill the Dark One and the Giant, but leave the third for questioning. And as his warriors attack, Inigo goes wild. And maybe the warriors are good. Maybe they're even better than that. But they never get a chance to show it, because this is something now. This is Inigo gone mad, and the six-fingered sword has never flashed faster. And the fourth warrior is dead before the first one has even hit the floor. There is a pause then to Ru Inigo, to Rugen, evenly and soft. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Cut to Count Rugen. For a moment, he just stands there, sword in hand. Then he does a most unexpected thing. He turns and runs the hell away. Cut to Inigo. Momentarily surprised, then taking off after him, leaving Wesley and Fezzik to exchange curious looks, and Rugen running through a half-open, heavy wooden door, shutting it and locking it just as Inigo throws himself against it. He tries again. No kind of chance. Fezzik, I need you. Cut to Fezzik and Wesley, who is still unable to walk under his own power. He calls back. I can't leave him alone. Cut to Inigo, desperately pounding at the heavy door. He's getting away from me, Fezzik. Please, Fezzik. Cut to Fezzik and Wesley. I'll be right back. And he props Wesley up against a large suit of armor and takes off toward the intersection where Inigo's voice comes from. Cut to Inigo, still hammering the door. Fezzik approaches, gestures for him to stop. And with one mighty swipe of his mighty hands, the door crumbles. Thank you. And Inigo flies through as Fezzik heads back to Wesley. Cut to Buttercup, walking with the king and queen. The queen, more sprightly, is several paces ahead. King can hardly be understood. Strange wedding. Yes, a very strange wedding. Come along. Buttercup gently stops the king and places a kiss on his forehead. He's very surprised and pleased. What was that for? Because you've always been so kind to me. And I won't be seeing you again since I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. King, smiling away, his hearing isn't at all what it used to be. Won't that be nice? She kissed me. And on those words, cut to Count Rugen, and he's running, dashing through corridors. And as he glances back, cut to Inigo, behind him, coming like a streak, and cut to the intersection, with a large suit of armor, and Fezzik gaping, staring at all those choices, trying to piece together the puzzle of the missing Wesley. Cut to Count Rugen, flashing out of one room, down a staircase, picking up his pace. He pulls out a deadly-looking dagger with a sharp point and a triangular shaped blade, and sprints on, and cut to Inigo, closing the gap, closer, closer, and he's down the stairs, and heading into the dining hall, and cut to Count Rugen, throwing the dagger, 
cut to Inigo, trying like hell to get out of the way, but no, it sticks deep into his stomach, and he hurls back helplessly against the wall of the room. His eyes glazed, blood coming from his wound. The room is going white on him. Sorry, father. I tried. I tried. Cut to Count Rugen, looking across the room at Inigo. He stares at Inigo's face and then touches his own cheeks as memory comes. You must be that little Spanish sprat I taught a lesson to all those years ago. It's simply incredible. Have you been chasing me your whole life only to fail now? I think that's the worst thing I ever heard. How marvelous. Inigo sinks. Cut to Buttercup. Shutting the door of the honeymoon suite, crossing quietly to the far wall where she sits at a table, opens a jeweled box, and takes out a very deadly-looking dagger. She seems very much at peace as she touches the soft knife, touches the knife to her bosom. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It'd be a pity to damage yours. And Buttercup whirls as we cut to Wesley, lying on the bed. Yellen's sword is beside him. His voice sounds just fine, but he does not move. Buttercup leaps to the bed, covering him with kisses. Wesley is helpless. Oh, Wesley, darling! More kisses. Wesley, why won't you hold me? Gently. At a time like this, that's all you can think to say? Gently? Gently! And she lets go, thumping his head against the headboard, and cut to Count Rugen, looking very much surprised. Good heavens, are you still trying to win? Pull back to reveal Anigo, struggling feebly, pulling the dagger from his stomach, holding the wound with his left hand. Rugen is pushing off from the table, sword in hand, moving in to kill Anigo. You've got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. It's going to get you into trouble someday. Anigo watches the Count approach, and the Count flicks his sword at Anigo's heart. And there's not much Anigo can do, just kind of vaguely parry the thrust with one with the six-fingered sword, and Count Rugen's blade sinks deeply into Inigo's left shoulder. Inigo doesn't seem to feel it. His other agonies are so much worse. Cut to the Count, stepping back, going for the heart again. Cut to Inigo, and as this blow comes, he's trying to use the wall for support and forcing himself to his feet. And it's not a roaring success of an attempt, but he does at least make some progress, and again he manages to parry the thrust, as this time Rugen's sword runs through his right arm. Again, Inigo doesn't seem to mind, doesn't even feel it. Cut to Count Rugen, stepping back for just a moment, watching as Inigo continues to inch his way to his feet, and then, just before the Count is about to strike again, Inigo manages a little flick of his own, and Rugen hadn't expected it, and he jumps back and makes a little involuntary cry of surprise and cut to Inigo, slowly pushing away from the wall. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Cut to Count Rugen, suddenly going into a fierce attack, striking with great power and precision, for he is a master swordsman. And he forces Inigo easily back, drives him easily into the wall, but he does not penetrate Inigo's defense. None of the Count's blows get him home. As the Count steps back a moment, cut to Inigo, slowly pushing off the wall again. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Cut to the count, and again he attacks, slashing with wondrous skill, but none of his blows get through, and slowly Inigo moves again forward. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. 
Stop saying that. Cut to Count Rugen, retreating more quickly around the table. Anigo drives for the Count's left shoulder now, thrusts home where the Count had gotten him. Then another move, and his blade enters the Count's right shoulder, the same spot Anigo was wounded. Hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. No. Offer me money. And now the six-fingered sword strikes, and there's a slash bleeding along one of Rugen's cheeks. Yes. Power too. Promise me that. The greatsword flashes again. Now there's a parallel slash bleeding on Rugen's other cheek. All that I have and more. Please. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch! And on that, cut to Inigo. And almost too fast for the eye to follow, the sword strikes one final time and cut to Count Rugen, crying out in fear and panic as the sword hits him home, dead center. And Inigo and Rugen. The sword clear through the Count. They're almost frozen like that for a moment. Then Inigo withdraws his sword. And as the Count pitches down, cut to Rugen, lying dead. His skin is ashen and the blood still pours from the parallel cuts on his cheeks. And his eyes are bulging wide, full of fear. Cut to Inigo, staring at Rugen. And now Inigo does something we have never seen him do before. He smiles. Then, cut to inside the honeymoon suite. Wesley lies as before. Not a muscle has moved. His head is still in the headboard. Yellen's sword at his side. Buttercup is alongside the bed. Her eyes never leave his face. Oh, Wesley, will you ever forgive me? What hideous sin have you committed lately? I got married. I didn't want to. It all happened so fast. It never happened. What? It never happened. But it did. I was there. This old man said man and wife. Did you say I do? Well, no, we sort of skipped that part. Then you're not married. If you didn't say it, you didn't do it. Wouldn't you agree, your highness? Cut to Humperdinck, entering the room, staring at them. He pulls out his sword. A technicality that will be shortly remedied. But first things first. To the death. No. To the pain. Humperdinck about to charge. Stop short. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. Wesley, lying there comfortably, his words quiet at first. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet, below the ankles, then your hands at the wrists, next your nose. Got to Humperdinck, gripping his sword, watching. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Cut to close-up Wesley, huge. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. Cut to Humpertink. And now he stops and look that was in his eyes at the wedding. That look of fear is starting to return. So that every shriek of every child that's seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps your approach, every woman who cries out, Oh, dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. 
That is what to the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish, wallowing in freakish misery forever. Cuts a humperdink, doing his best to hide the fear that keeps building inside him. I think you're bluffing. Cuts a Wesley lying there, staring at him. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass, that I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. Then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. And now, slowly, Wesley begins to move. His body turns. His feet go to the floor. And he starts to stand. Cup to Humperdink. Staring, eyes wide. Cut to Wesley. And he is standing, sword in fighting position. Drop your sword. Prince Humperdink. And he's so panicked he doesn't know whether to pee or wind his watch. He throws his sword to the floor. Have a seat. Cut to Wesley. Speaking to Buttercup as Humperdinck sits. Tie him up. Make it as tight as you like. And as she sets to work, cut to Inigo, entering, looking around. Where's Fezik? I thought he was with you. No. In that case, his balance betrays him. Inigo to Buttercup. Help him. Why does Wesley need helping? Because he has no strength. Humperdinck. And now... He starts wrestling mightily with his bonds. I knew it! I knew you were bluffing! I knew he was bluffing! Shall I dispatch him for you? Thank you, but no. Whatever happens to us, I want him to live a long life alone with his cowardice. Inigo! Inigo, where are you? They look at each other, then move to the balcony and cut to Fezzik, leading four great white horses. He glances up, sees them on the balcony. Huh! There you are, Inigo. I saw the prince's stables, and there they were, four white horses, and I thought there were four of us. If we ever find the lad... Hello, lad. So I took them with me, in case we ever bumped into each other. I guess we just did. Cut to Inigo and Wesley and Buttercup, looking down at Fezzik. Fezzik, you did something right. Don't worry, I won't let it get to my head. And he holds out his great arms. Cut to something unexpected and very lovely. Buttercup floating through the air. What's happening, of course, is that she's jumping from the balcony so Fezzik can catch her. But her fall is in slow motion, so you might think that she was flying. Wesley and Inigo, watching as Fezzik catches Buttercup. You know, it's very strange. I've been in the revenge business so long, now that it's over... I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Wesley, as Inigo gets him ready for his jump. Have you considered piracy? You'd make a wonderful Dread Pirate Roberts. Now from that, cut to the four glorious white horses with their four riders triumphantly racing through the night. Cut to Buttercup and Wesley. And at last their trials are done. They stop. They rode to freedom, and as dawn arose, Wesley and Buttercup knew they were safe. A wave of love swept over them, and as they reached for each other, as Buttercup and Wesley begin their ultimate kiss, the kid's bedroom. The grandfather stops reading. What? What? No, it's kissing again. You don't want to hear it. I don't mind so much. He gestures for his grandfather to read. Okay. Cut to Buttercup and Wesley, locked in a deep, pure, and passionate kiss. Since the invention of the kiss... There have been five kisses that were rated the most passionate.
the most pure. This one left them all behind. The end. Cut to the kids' room. The grandfather snaps the book closed. Now I think you ought to go to sleep. Okay. Grandfather standing, ready to leave. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So long. Grandpa? The old man stops, turns. Maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow? As you wish. And his smile is enough as the grandfather steps out, the door tipping his hat. Final fade out. The end.